This is the Ezra podcast. I got to make up for what I missed this weekend, which I saw the fights, but I had a kid as well. So couldn't exactly get back to, you know, doing a podcast or reviewing the fights. I'm basically on survival mode now with this kid. That's, that's what it is with kids. It's survival mode. You think like all these things, wherever you thought, it's just out the window. It's like, I guess, imagine going into war. I've never been war. But I imagine this is what it's like. It's like you go into war and you think like, I'm going to be doing, you know, some probably some sick way in your mind. You think like it's going to be fun and you're going to be like effective. And then like it hits the fan and you're just probably in survival mode. Just trying not to get your head blown off. That's what's like. That's the way I described my first week having a kid. Just trying not to get my head blown off. So let's get to the fights. I'll start off with the UFC card. I felt, I felt the UFC card was a... You know, I always start off with what I think the bigger fight is that weekend. I feel like the UFC card was a, a bigger event that weekend than what boxing had to offer, even though boxing had some quality cards on. So let's talk about, and we'll start off with Jean Blackwoods versus Glover Teixeira. In a fight that Glover Teixeira um, pulls out the victory, and I wish I was, I thought pretty, you know, I thought it was a decent upset. I didn't expect Glover to win. I did think there'd be opportunities for him, but I thought that he could, had to overcome too much to get to the spot where he could win this fight. But he overcame it, and he did something that I didn't expect was be really effective with the takedown, like instantly. And John looked a lot like when John took down um, Izzy, where Izzy couldn't do much. You know, Izzy just kind of closed guard it and didn't have much to offer. That's exactly what John did. He just kind of closed guard. He didn't. He, he was just stuck. He was flat on his back and had nothing to do. And it really looked like it affected his stand-up game, because when they got standing up, he looked like much more in a hurry to land something big. And the one thing I knew that going in game plan wise was that he needed to land straight down the middle because Glover was going to walk into a lot of shots and he didn't want to exchange with Glover. He didn't want to exchange hands with him. He's hard hitting and a combo puncher and he's loose with his punches. So you wanted to make him pay as he's walking in. And the only way you do that was with straight shots. And John has that. He had also had the reach on this in this fight. But when it seemed like when he got up, it was more in exchanges like he looked more panicky he looked like he definitely didn't want to go to the ground again definitely looked like that was like a weakness and he felt like he had no strength there no nothing no offense there nothing to counter what Glover was doing and it really threw off his game and they started exchanging hooks and he was landing some good shots he was landing some real good shots you're gonna land on Glover if you're gonna throw punches you want to exchange you'll land on him but he's gonna land too and it's like can you take you know you can give but can you take and John in this fight He could. It, 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 the stand-up was competitive, and I was interested to see if that would have kept going. Probably would have had a pretty damn good fight. But because of the first takedown and just how effective uh, Glover was, when Glover gets the in on him and they get a clinch, John kind of panics and goes for a submission. He goes, he pulls the roll up a submission. I just think that when you're in those positions and you feel like, well, I was in this before and took me down, I had nothing to do, you, you look to do something else. You look to do something that may be out of your norm or out of what the game plan was, there's no way the game plan for, in this fight was for John to try to pull up a submission ever and take go to the ground and, take, give a, and uh, go to his back on the ground and give that to Glover. There's no way. Because if it was his bad game plan, horrible. And he goes for that. And that huge mistake allows Glover to get his back and it's game over from there. Um, Glover looked good. He looked good. And it, it's, a, it's a great story that, you know, Glover won at 42 years old. Uh, first shot against was against John Jones. A lot of people thought he came to the UFC too late in his career to really, uh, really see what he truly, what he truly was, his true skill level. But look at he won the world. He was the UFC champion of the world. 
but it does interesting is that I think it has to also say with, with the skill level or the talent pool of the light heavyweight division in the UFC right now, it's it's pretty low. And the lightweight division is always going to do that because it happens in boxing too. It's a, it's a it's not a common weight. It's like heavyweight. Like heavyweight, you really only ever have like two, three guys. And light heavyweight, you know, you like when you had John Jones, there's only only one guy. And then DC came and it was two guys. And you could sometimes throw. Um, I'm trying to think of the the Swede's name. Um, I'm blinking on his name. I really like that guy. Gufson. You could sometimes throw Gufson in there because he was competitive, but he never really was at that level. He never really won at that level before. And it just seems like it. right now the UFC is, is kind of has a talent dip. Now I'm thinking that a lot of people are going to assume that Jerry's going to beat Glover, in which I would early, my early pick is Jerry, right? Because I just think that, you know, Glover, if you're a championship level fighter, to me, I would think he would be Glover. So I just, that to me, it just says how low the UFC is. And that Bellator, who's having a light heavyweight tournament right now, and the Corey Anderson and Nemkov are going to be fight in the main in the finals for that. They might have the best, best light heavyweight in the world. If we're comparing them to, if we're comparing the UFC and Bellator, I think Bellator probably has the best light heavyweight as long as Glover's the champ. And I, I think they have an argument at 145 as well. And you're starting to see, and it's going to get interesting, um, a little bit more parity between the two. Now, I don't think that. UFC fears Bellator in any way because I think the UFC trusts its brand so much and knows that they could pretty much throw anything out there because look at the fight, I mean, which I'll be covering later of this weekend and, you know, we're calling it a big card and it's a deep card but I don't think it has much star power. I don't think Usman's a star. I don't think Usman's like a superstar. I don't think he's Conor McGregor. I don't think he's Khabib. I don't think he's Canelo. I don't think he's uh Tang Davis, I, I don't think that. I don't think he's those guys' level. I don't think he has that kind of star power. And this is the, the UFC's big card of the year. So it just shows you that the UFC really trusts his brand. It really does. AJ trusts his brand to cover over even the name of the fighters that are fighting. But that's, you're starting to see a little more parity of Bellator. And it's funny. It'd be interesting to see if Bellator can get his skill level and talent level up to par with the UFC if that could sway anyone from viewing it because it hasn't it hasn't yet hasn't yet not even close they're not even close to each other if you're curious to see how that battle is going UFC is winning by a landslide in the Coleman event we had Peter Yan versus Corey Sanhagen and a fight that went exactly how I thought it would go now Corey Sanhagen was much more disciplined in this fight which I said that he needed to be he couldn't do all the tricky uh, surprising explosive moves against a guy like Peter Young because he might get paid for it and you're just going to burn energy so he was more disciplined his shots were definitely more compact wasn't a lot of waste on them wasn't a lot of flashy stuff did a lot of movement uh, did a lot of switches and like I said over time Peter Young who's disciplined who has an excellent memory like if you make a mistake or you do a move and he reads it and then he's like okay I'll set that move up because I know he's going to respond he'll remember from first and he'll do the, he'll resp- he will test it again in the fourth like he doesn't do it like right away he's like okay put that away i know he reacts to that in the fourth round he does it so like where you forget how you reacted to it or you forget that you had already reacted to it before he, he and he just breaks you down he breaks you down with just being in the right position all the uh, at the right at the right time all the time 
I feel like the, that's like a Ron Burgundy. Six percent time, it works all the time. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think what I said. He breaks you down by just always being in the right position. It doesn't take much for Peter Young to strike. It doesn't take much for him to capitalize on your mistake. And Sanhagen, who you know has does good stuff, but that style, that Dominic Cruz, that Dillashaw style, where you're switching and you're always do, doing something, some weird movement. It burns your energy, first of all. And then there's a lot of... If someone's on you and they're always in the right position, there's a lot of wasted movement in between or bad position you get yourself in between where Peter Yan was able to capitalize. I don't think that style will ever work against Peter Yan. Because he's in position... First of all, he sees it right away and his body's able to respond right away. When there's another guy who's maybe his legs are not that great... And he sees it, but his brain tells his legs, and then his legs got to get in position, and then he just strikes. Maybe he comes up late. And that's what I think with Corey Sanhagen, Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, all of them did. But if you notice when uh, Dominic Cruz fought Cody Garbrandt, who kind of stays in the same position, he stays in the same position, stays tight, keeps his legs, he's always kind of balanced. He tore it apart. He tore that style apart. And I think that Peter Yan will always tear the style apart. And I don't think Corey Sanhagen really has a chance of ever beating him. Of course, Angus is a talented fighter. He's fun to watch, but the, those little t- technical things like that, they're huge, and they really exposed it. And you could say, you know, that the fight's close, but it's a five-round fight. So it's like if the guy wins one round and the guy wins the next four, it still feels kind of close. Or he wins one round, he wins three in a row, and then the guy wins the last round. And it's like it's 3-2, but you know it wasn't really a close fight. It's just short amount of rounds. So there's not a lot of room to get a, a big gap. As if in a 12-round fight, you figure out the first three rounds, he could win the next nine. Let's get to the Islam Makachev versus Dan Hooker fight. And Makachev, which is a fight I thought he would win. Uh, and I thought he once he took down Hooker that Hooker wouldn't be able to get back up. And he would probably just take a beating. But I thought Hooker would be able to show some stuff on the stand-up. No, he wasn't able to show anything on the stand-up. Because Islam Makachev didn't allow him to do that. And this is what Islam, you know, to me, he uh, is an excellent fighter technically and everything. But sometimes he could have a boring fight or kind of like a stalemate where he slowly, you know, just... Knows does enough to win the rounds. He's he's a winner. He knows how to win rounds. He knows how to win fights. But this fight, he just went and took Dan Hooker down. And Dan Hooker's never been elite level, but he's been competitive with good guys. And Islam Makhachev just made him look like he, like if this was just like a tune-up fight, like if this was just a walker or a stepping stone. Um, and that's no one really does it. Dan Hooker. I mean, Dan Hooker's the one that wants a war with Dustin Poirier. Like they, that was a close fight. And Islam Makhachev made him look like nothing. He ragdolled him, got his arm, submitted him. He's a monk for real. And his stand-up is better than Khabib's. Um, like I said, his ground and pound is not as good as Khabib. But his wrestling and takedowns, he, they, they could very well be. And he's defensively minded. And he's just an excellent fighter. And it looks like he's going to come for the title. Now everybody's saying he's going to be the next champ and everything like that. Um... He's very good. He's high level. He's ready for any champion there is. He's ready for any top guys. But, I mean, I don't know why we're selling Charles Oliveira short. I don't know why that we're just assuming that he's, uh, Dustin Poirier's going to knock him out. I don't know why we're assuming Islam Makhachev is just going to destroy Justin Poirier. These are good fighters. This is a very good division. It's a very, uh, deep division. Uh, Justin Gaethje's a damn good fighter. Uh, Ch- Ch- uh, Chandler's an interesting matchup for Islam. In, in a rock, paper, scissors sport, which, the, you know, the UFC kind of is, where it's like the, the styles, 
um, can make one guy look great, and then the other style can make him look horrible. The, all those guys like that, no, for sure, the Islam runs through all of them. And I, I don't, I think we're jumping to conclusions a little bit on this, but I think he, that he's for sure at that level, and I want to see him fight all those guys. And I think I would have him favored over half of them. And some of the other ones, I wouldn't. But the beautiful thing is we're going to find out. And the beautiful thing is, like, the way Islam came up, it kind of just shows, because I don't think the UFCs, like, are genius matchmakers. I don't. I think they just follow the ranking system and just bring a guy up within that. And allow the, you know, they, they don't care if a guy loses. Uh, they just want, you know, who's the best guy? Go match each other. Who's the best guy going to come out? We'll make, you know, the brand. Like I said, they trust the brand. They don't care who the champ is. It's interesting. And, but it's funny how the ranking system works. And look at how Islam came up. He just went through the ranks. Just, this guy was next. This guy's next. This guy's next. It was the correct way to bring him along. And he looked his best as the opponents got better. And that's what you want. Let's get to another guy that I think that people are ready to say he's the next champ. And that's Kamzat Chimaev. And he faces Ling Jingling. Jing Lang. I'm sorry. Li Jing Lang. And... Chimaev runs through Jin Lang, which I thought he would. I thought he would take him down, ground and pound him, finish him in a second. And he, he didn't need to wait that long. He takes him down, lands big shots, gets him, lands a submission. It's over. Chimaev is... Um, we're talking about no wasting movement, Peter Yan. Chimaev doesn't have much wasting movement either. And he's in his ground... Like, he walks straight to you. And as from walking to taking down, it's like you can't even see the transition point to it. It's no setup. It's just he can walk to shooting, to throwing punches, to throwing kicks really quick right away. And you can't read it. It's really hard to read. And he's to the point where, like I said, you can't really crown these guys champions. They got to earn it. But he's at the point to where you know that the only guys are going to test him are championship level fighters. So that's why I said, I said, I'm ready for him to get a title shot now because I don't know if he could be, I don't know if he can beat Usman, but I know that the only guy that's going to test him is a guy level of Usman. That's how good he is. And if I'm betting it, yes, I'm going to say that he will have a title shot next year at some point. But you don't know. You never know. UFC, uh, you know, sometimes injuries come, uh, Sometimes, you know, late replacements and fights. A lot of strange things happen. And then uh, you would think a guy that's right there, and then, it, you know, takes another year or whatever. But this guy could do everything. And he has not lost one second in the cage. He hasn't lost for one second in the cage. And he reminds me of the boxer that fought the same week. And I did a, a post for them because I thought they were comparable with Jerron Ennis, who people are saying, you know, he's going to beat Spence and Crawford. That's where Chimaev is. Is that people are just now assuming that he's going to beat everyone. Any of the top guys. And now the top guys are starting to talk about him. And I think that he, he is that special. Where you could see that. And I would love to see him and Usman fight. I have a feeling that. It's not going to be a fight that Usman's too um, eager to get to. And I think that Usman. Who is running out of opponents. Who is running. Um, you know he's. He, he kind of maxed out on what he could make in the UFC. Uh, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't keep not making good. and doesn't mean that he should just stop making those paydays. But he might not risk wanting to fight a, a guy like Chimaev who's coming up, who's hungry, who's a, you know, a dog. He might not want to risk that. 
And he said, you know, he brought it up and he said he brought up retirement. I, I could just see that going. It's just like one of those fights where like they miss each other's era. I just don't think that, I don't think Usman wants that. I think Usman knows the level of guys he could beat. And he knows like, I just don't know if he's willing to go in and with a guy like that where he's unsure of it now. I think right now he's pretty sure of who the guys he can be. And he's already with talking Canelo, right? He's talking, he's trying to get a payday to get out of this. That's what it is. In the UFC, that's what they do. Like if you work your way and you feel like, I'm not going to get no big paydays here, right? Uh, I'll fight Izzy for hundred million, but you know, it's not going to happen. And then you say, well, I'll fight Canelo. Cause that'll give me at least 50 to fight Canelo because they want out. They don't want to do this anymore. The interesting thing is like, I was thinking about is we were talking about Canelo and they were saying, you know, because he, he was, he, you know, Canelo, he has his own style and he was wearing pajamas everywhere and he was in a plane. And they were saying that, you know, Marvel, the famous Marvin, ha- Marvin Hagler codes, it's hard to get up at four in the morning when you have silk, um, pajamas and the UFC because of their pay structure right they never pay you astronomical numbers you never get the numbers like Floyd Mayweather or you never get the Canelo Alvarez numbers it constantly keeps the guys hungry and I'm not I'm not agree with the pay or anything but you, you're never making see as soon as Conor McGregor started getting big paydays he started fighting a lot less it started being harder to make them fights. It started being harder to find the right opponent that would sell them to make your money back. And, you you know, suddenly he's making so much money that he doesn't care if he misses a fight or two in a year because he's not hurting for money. But the UFC has it right now. It's like, you got, okay, a guy makes a million. Now, he's not filthy rich off of that. He can't just sit and rest off of that. He still has to, you know, okay, buy a nicer house. He's still got to pay the mortgage on it. You buy a nicer car. Okay, that million is pretty much already spent. So now you gotta go, I gotta get another fight. I gotta, you know, be able to pay my rent, but take care of my kids. And then you have kids. I gotta take care of the college. I gotta make sure that we're our families. So, and it's just the, the amount of money to where it's good. You're living good, but you can't stop. You gotta keep working. It's just filling up the car, the gas tank to eat, but it's not unlimited. It's gonna go empty again. And I think that they know that. And they don't, you know, making their fighters too comfortably financially, well, I think it would hurt the product. And that right now, they could have a guy fight four times a year because he could get paid, you know, 500 grand. That's two million in a year. When a boxer could, you know, at the top level could get paid that in one fight. So it's like almost like in a way that the UFC keeps the guys still hungry. There was boxing that this past weekend, and I know I'm taking a long time with this. I'm already like at 18 minutes. Uh, just reviewing the thing, but it's, you know, this would have been one whole podcast. So, you know, this is give you one big podcast. If I'm only going to do one a week for like the next two weeks, then let's just do a big one. I got Jamal James versus Butaviv, uh, who where Butaviv gets the stop of Jamal James. Um, some people thought it was a controversial stop. I thought that Jamal James was taking some pretty considerable shots. And sometimes that's a, you know, experienced ref. It's just like, you know, why let him continue to take these big shots? Uh, it was a fight that went exactly how I imagined it would go. It just Jamal James wasn't able to pull that second wind, which I thought he would. I thought he would win the first rounds, which he, he kind of did. I thought he won like first two or three rounds. Then Butaviv really puts it on him. Um, and, uh, you know, Jamal James falls back into the bad habits and losing his range, overshooting. Uh, he wastes a lot of energy, a lot of movement. Then it starts getting against the ropes, and he just really starts taking damage. And there was points where it looked like he was going to be able to work his way out like a marathon runner and, and find the second wind and be able to pull through on the fight. 
but it just wasn't. He just it was it wasn't meant to be. He was just taking too many shots. The shots that he did, uh, Budibev, who was usually more patient, wasn't that this time. He was he felt that when he once he felt that he could put those shots on, he was just able to put them on over and over and over again. And Jamal James just never truly recovered once he had it, uh, the well had broke. And now Budibev is in a spot for he's in a tournament where he's gonna fight. He's gonna fight Yugas, the winner Yugas Danionis, right? If that that goes through and. It's a tough fight for you guys, who, you know, almost beat Pacquiao and could have been fighting Earl Spence, but the the title, whatever damn title he has, IBF, WBO, um, they said, no, you got to, you have to, um, you have to defend it in this tournament, which, I, you know, they don't do to a lot of guys, so I could see where people crying foul, but also, I don't think Earl Spence is going to fight him unless he has a belt, so... It's not like Earl Spence is helping either. Because what if Earl Spence just said, yeah, I don't need that belt. Drop that belt. I'll still fight you. It's a good fight. I don't see anyone doing that. I don't see anyone clamoring for that. Because I think if he did that, then you guys can get out of this. But you guys know that fight's not going to happen unless he has that belt. So he has to stay almost in this tournament and fight for the belt and get it. And Budovic is not a walkthrough fight because he's a talented pressure fighter. He's a skilled pressure fighter. He's an Olympic-level amateur pressure fighter. And those are the toughest ones. Because he's not just walking into shots. He's not just throwing out a heavy bag. No, he's pre- precision and timing and coming in with angles and with a, a strategy. It's a tough fight. And what he did to Jamal James, who was a tough, to me, a, a tough contender. I never thought he was really high level. I never thought he would be like a notable win on someone's career because they never really got to that point point, had success. But he, he was really effective. And Jamal James is a guy that could survive a lot of big shots and go through, you know, he has stamina and has durability. Not in this one. It looked like he was really broken down, getting broken down in this one. On the undercard, he had Jerron Annis, who I was talking about earlier, a lot of hype on him, versus Thomas DeLorme. And uh, I knew that Jerron Annis was going to land. I knew that DeLorme's defense was horrible. The one thing I didn't assume was that once Jerron Annis landed, it was over. His defense with Thomas DeLorme's offense was... I mean, defense is too terrible, and Dronis's offense is too great. Now, it's still within that one-round demolishment of Delorme. He still got landed on it. But I, I think because of the mentality, you cannot... Well, if you have an offensive mentality, you're going to get hit. Because your brain isn't thinking defensively. Now, he could be very talented defensively, but his brain's not thinking that. His brain's thinking, go get the, get the kill, land the shots... And when that is happening and fast action and punches are being thrown, you're not thinking defensively first. You're not. He's thinking offensively first and he thinks defensively second. And even though he could be very good defensively, even though he's very talented, very athletic, very skilled fighter, he's still thinking offense first. So it has to, the, the mind isn't thinking, oh, the shot's coming, prepare for this. It's mind thinking offense, offense, oh, shot coming. Now, where's that body at? Where do I adjust? It's not fast enough at times. So when you're an offensive fighter, you're going to get hit. Just because you're thinking offensive first. If you're Floyd Mayweather, you're thinking defensive first. So he shuts you down. He shuts down your offense. And then he applies its own. Once he knows defensively, he has you figured out. People are saying drawing in this, just like Jimayev, is the feature, right? He's going to beat Spence and beat Crawford. I think that he proved that he's at that level. I do not think that there's the lower guys are an actual test for him anymore. I believe he passed that. And he is ready for a Thurman. He is ready for... A porter, he's ready for you guys, he's ready for he's ready for any of those guys. Now we can't crown him, he has to go earn it. But he is a problem for all those guys. He is a threat to all those guys. He's a big human being for 147. 
He looks like a middleweight in there. He has speed, power, and he has a lot of power. And the complaint I have about him is, you know, like I said, his, he's offensive-minded, so he will get hit, but he puts everything in every shot. But I think that, you know, what I think of a negative is it might just be a complete skill is that his stamina and his athleticism and his, you know, the way he was taught to fight, he can put everything in every shot, and it doesn't affect his game because I haven't seen him get tired, but I haven't seen him really fight that long of a fight either. Only one's going to test him are uh, very good fighters. He is beyond the stage of, you know, let's see if he can, how he does with this guy. You know, no, he, this guy better be a name. He better be someone that can actually fight. Now, I see a lot of people saying, well, who's going to be able to stop him? His offense, he's too big and everything like that. Timing. At that level, when you get to Crawford Spence, it turns into a timing fight. You, all the offense that you're working against Delorme is not going to work against Spence and Crawford like that. So when it gets to a fight where it's like, multiple skills are being applied uh strategies uh change of the game in the middle of the fight is he gonna be able to keep up with that i understand everything he's doing that athleticism and all that that's fine but when you get to that level that's all that's the, the test he needs to pass next and the only one can do that are top fighters okay let's get to the fights this weekend biggest fight this weekend and i think maybe a lot of ufc fans may disagree but you know it's all about star power canelo Alvarez versus caleb plant and i think that you know, you got UFC going versus boxing this weekend, pay-per-view. I don't think it's going to affect the boxing's numbers that, that much, honestly. Because Usman is not a star like Canelo. Kobe Covington is not a star like Canelo. That's a that's a good card the UFC's throwing up, but it's not a great name. It's not a superstar. Canelo Alvarez is a superstar. The superstar is going to win every time. Canelo Alvarez, who is going on, you know, he went on his run in Europe. Now he's going on, looks to be like a PBC run, American run, where he's going to fight Caleb Plant. Uh, Charlo or Benavides seems to be I don't know what order that is but we know Caleb Plant's first and that's the fight happening this weekend now Canelo uh, somewhat you know is he has his detractors he has the detractors he has, he has big fans and I think that people aren't really sure I guess the question is we know Canelo's damn good they want to know how great is he is he Floyd Mayweather level is he um De La Hoya, is he more De La Hoya, right? Is he Floyd Mayweather? Is he is he going to lose? Is he really as great as we think he is? Is there questions to be answered? Is this the wrong style for him? Is this a style that he avoided? All that. I think that's where we're going into this fight. And I don't think any a lot of people, American fans, don't respect the fights he won in England, which I do. I think Colton Smith's a very good fighter. I think Billy Joe Saunders is a very good fighter. I don't think those are easy fights to win. I think that guys like Caleb Plant and Benavides would struggle in those fights. I think Charlo and them would have, you know, good competitive fights. I'm not saying they would lose, but they, they would struggle. And I don't think Canelo struggled at all. I think he ran through those guys. And I think that we might be seeing something similar to this fight in Caleb Plant. Now, let's talk about Caleb Plant. People are saying that this is the wrong style for Canelo. This is uh, going to look like the Floyd Mayweather fight. going to look like the Laura fight or the Austin Trout fight. I think the Trout fight is, um, I think the Trout fight's the, maybe the more comparable comparable one. Um, Laura does not fight like Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant does not fight like Laura. Now, they're both boxers. They're both defensively minded. But Laura has legs that Caleb Plant just does not have. I see, keep hearing people saying that Caleb Plant, you know, the bigger, athletic, more athletic fighter, he's not more athletic than Canelo. That's the problem. No. Is Canelo um, the fastest afoot? No. That's uh, probably, if you're going to beat him, one of the best ways to do it is constantly move around the ring. Caleb Plant's not the kind of guy like that. He doesn't have fast legs to where he could just move around the ring and you're not going to catch him. He's not Laura. He's not rigged out. He does not have that kind of leg. He is a boxer, but he doesn't box that way. He's more boxing mentality with some good technique. 
um, defensively aware fighter, but he's not going to be able to move around the ring the whole time. Also, Caleb Plant, he's kind of a one-handed fighter. He fights with the left hand. Now, the left hand is very good. He's very good with the left hand, and that's going to help him because Canelo, when he does struggle, it's against jabs, gets straight shots because his legs aren't the fastest. Like I said, he's not going to, and he does, they're not the longest, and they don't cover the most ground, so if you could keep him at a certain point, Canelo kind of plants, moves his head, and kind of looks to, you know, catch you, kind of looks to put pressure on you, and then make you respond and be able to counter you. Now, if Caleb Plank can keep distance and jab, 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 then move, that's going to be good for him. If you look at the Golovkin fight, you look at Mayweather fight, the jab and the one-twos were very important. The flaw for Caleb Plant is he doesn't have a right hand. He's all left hand, left hooks. And some when he combos, the left hand is sharp, the right hand isn't as sharp. And it's not just as sharp when he throws punches. It's not that sharp when it, defensively. It takes his body kind of to move in a weird way for his right hand. His left hand and right hand are nowhere near equal. Left hand is a lot stronger. When a guy like Canelo, who's strong with both hands, a guy like Mayweather, who's strong with both hands. And I think that will be an early downfall for Caleb Plant in this fight. Um, He's not that loose up top. He's not the flashiest defensively. I honestly think that Billy Joe Saunders, and this is the comparison that everybody's using, I think people are getting frustrated with it, or maybe it's being used too much, but Billy Joe Saunders is a looser fighter, a more naturally slick fighter. And I've seen that, you know, some of the success that Billy Joe Sanders had in the Canelo fight. Caleb Plant's not going to have that similar success. And I think that if I'm breaking down how this fight's going to go down, if I'm breaking down what we're going to see in this fight, I think Canelo's going to come, of course, put pressure. I think Caleb Plant's going to look to jab, keep his distance. And at some point, he's going to let the right hand go. At some point, he's going to look to uh, flurry. And when he does, Canelo's going to catch him in between it. Because of the right hand. Because the right hand is so less effective, so much less lesser effective than the left hand. When you're flurrying with a guy or combo, throwing combinations and Canelo's a counterpuncher and he's so strong with both hands, that's going to leave openings. That's going to leave key points where I would tell Caleb Plant almost don't flurry with him. Don't ever throw combinations with him. We're going to look to land one shot and move. Land one shot and move. We're going to look to, you know, out-finesse him, out-shine him, and make it look like he can't touch you. But as soon as you flirt with him, I think Canelo's going to catch him. And another thing that I know is Caleb Plant is he leans to his right side. And he doesn't, you don't have to force him to do it. See, a lot of times Canelo's opponents, you gotta, he has to force you to do it. And he does that with feints and jabs. Is he feints you, jabs you, and gets you to dip to one side and then uppercuts you. Caleb Plant's going to do it from the get-go because that's his natural defensive movement for him. Like I said, he's not the Flash's defensive fighter. So he kind of gets stuck. He's a little bit stiff over body. He's going to drop to his right side. And at that point, I think Canelo's going to drop him early. In this fight, how I see it going is I think the first round, like I said, Canelo will put pressure. Caleb Plant's going to be jabbing, moving, and then he's going to try to flurry up and and with the left hook he's going to flurry again and Canelo's going to catch him in between it he's going to catch him dipping to his right side and I think he's going to drop him early now I think Caleb Plant gets up I think Canelo's not um, he's not going to rush stuff Canelo, Canelo's a crew professional he knows how, he knows that there's rounds he knows that there's time he's very in control of everything going on in there and he'll just go and look to break him down from that point on but Caleb Plant is always going to be able to be hit he's more of a distance guy he likes the flurry. He likes to go with the left hand. I think that he'll have some success with it. But when he comes in and he overshoots sometimes, Canelo's going to make a pay. And he's going to get hit with a lot of shots. And I think 
slowly get broken down and getting stopped in the ninth round. And those mistakes, those um, repetitive movements, those going to the same side, going, um, being not as effective with the right hand, not just in punching, like I said, as in bringing it back or the movement it takes to get the right hand off because it's not as strong as the left hand. A guy's a guy like Canelo, he's going to see it right away. And he's going to make you pay for it. And I know people are saying, uh, well, you know, plant resume is no good. And that, that's not, you can't 100% knock a fighter because his resume is no good. You know, at one point, Earl Spence's resume was no good, but he's a damn good fighter and you should be able to see it. You can't just go off of, you know, what has happened and those things. You got to be able to see it too, the skill level, the talent. And I can see there's talent there with Caleb Plant, but I can also see there's holes there. And when I see a holes in his game, you have to see, well, how did he look against really good guys? Did they expose it? And now he has the one win really over Uz... Uh, Uz... Uh, Uz... Uh, how do I pronounce his name? Uz... Gahe. I... I should, I should really have studied that name. But he has... Oh, that's his one big win. And then in that fight, he got... He still got landed on. And in the point where he dropped him the second time, he even got hurt at that point. And it was because he went to the same side. And he, I'm not going to, you know, hold the resume against him, but I'm going to say that it doesn't have proof that the flaws he has, he's able to still win big fights with them. We don't know that yet. Now, this is the hell, the hell, but this is the ultimate test against Canelo. But if you're really hoping to rely on him moving like Laura around the ring, he's not going to do that. If you're hoping to hit him with one-twos like Floyd did and control the distance, he doesn't have a one-two. He has a jab. So the best part you have, like I said, it was Trout. It's controlling the distance, jabbing, and cutting the corner. And he's got to do that a lot. And hopefully Canelo, and hope, and he has to um, beat Canelo's legs. Because Canelo's legs are good in tight areas, but when you get the lot of movement, sometimes Canelo's going to struggle with it. Or he's, um, you know, he doesn't have the fastest of foot. So if Caleb Plant can switch the corner right cut the angle on him and then jab him hold him left hook and do rinse and repeat over and over and over again that's his best way of winning but he's not gonna out flurry him he's not gonna hurt canelo he's not gonna um you know outspeed him or he's i don't think he's a more athletic fighter than canelo i think canelo's a more athletic fighter i think he can do more in the ring it would take a very, being very technically sound in this fight to win this fight. And I just don't think he has it in him. This is a very interesting fight, especially just because of the weaknesses that people, you know, that we kind of see in Canelo, right? The weaknesses, the styles that people say that he struggled with. This is that style. If he kind of runs through it, you start looking and say, you're starting to see, well, what style is going to beat him? It's, it's, it's probably going to go after this. It's probably just going to have to be size, like a guy like Bavol or Beer Tabiv. It would, it would probably have to start thinking size because he runs through Caleb Plant like nothing. You, you have to kind of assume 168. There's probably has no one has really much for him. And you have fun, a really fun fight with Benavides, which could be an all-out war. And an interesting style that he hasn't truly seen of an offensive, a big guy with offense like that since maybe Kovalev, but this guy's like in his physical prime. Now you have Charlo, but after if he smokes Caleb Plant, Charlo coming from 160... 
with not a lot of big fights under his belt as well, it, it, it would seem more, you know, less logical that he could win that fight. Canelo is here to, you know, prove that he's the best in the world. He's he's really going for it. He's going to have four fights next year. He's also putting uh, a lot of money in the bank. He's building a promotion. This is a guy that was, with a lot of thought process. Him and Eddie Reynoso are not, um, not taking this lightly, this opportunity lightly. And if you've seen, like, Canelo Alvarez calling out Ryan Garcia, that's because he's building a, a camp there. He's building his trainer. He's building... A brand, and he knows that Ryan Garcia and Golden Boy aren't always on the most solid ground, so he can easily see that Ryan Garcia going to his Canelo promotions, right, and being able to work with Eddie Hearn, PBC, on getting them great fights. So he, this is all tactical moves that are here, and winning is going to help that. So I don't think that you're going to see slip up. I don't think you're going to see him slowing down. I don't believe you're going to see that on this guy. This is a completely motivated guy. This is a guy like Floyd Mayweather, who knows that winning this is leading to much more better, bigger business for him, even outside the ring. Let's go to the UFC card. The one fight that I, I, I now I'm going to say, I didn't fully study the Usman, Kobe Covington fight, and uh, the Zhang Wei Li fight. And the Rose Namajunas. I didn't 100% study those fights, but I did study Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. And Justin Gaethje, if I watch the Khabib fight over again, he was probably the most effective against uh, Khabib as far as landing effective shots. He landed a lot of effective shots. And when he fought Tony Ferguson, his style was pretty damn good. He was defensively aware. His offense was sharp. Um, he still gets wild from time to time. It's, I don't know, sometimes he just can't get past that. His leg kicks, like everybody knows his leg kicks. But when his, wherever they did in the Ferguson fight, wherever they did a turnaround, again, focus, a really focus in there, not just going for war and everything like that. He really is an excellent fighter at that at that point. And when he fought, uh, um, Khabib, at points when he got wild, I think that really tired him out. I don't know why he did that. I don't, I, maybe just the pressure Khabib puts on you and you just trying to get him off you or keep him honest from going for the takedown. But he did a lot of good things and he tore off Khabib's leg. He landed left hooks. I mean, he shook Khabib a few times. And Khabib just lands one takedown where he kind of, uh, Gaethje kind of cuts the corner too, too wide, stays in front, gets his leg straight, and just, that was the end of the, the, end of the game. But uh, when Gaethje did get taken down too, he had really not, nothing for Khabib. Not that anyone really has, but it was kind of eye-opening how he kind of was helpless. He had really not, no counter. You got Michael Chandler, who comes in and knocks out Dan Hooker. But it's a win that's looking less and less oppressive as it goes on. And that's what, a win could do that, right? A win, uh, notable wins. If I do your top five wins, even if you stop fighting, th- those wins could still change because the guy continues. And you're like, well, who did that guy really be? At that one point, we thought he was something. And at what, the point where Dan, Michael Chandler fought Dan Hooker, maybe we thought he was something. But then what Islam just did to him, it's like, maybe just Dan Hooker's not at that level. And then Michael Chandler goes and fights Oliveira. And he does. He hurts Oliveira at one point in the fight. But he also gets stopped in the fight with the left hook. And remember, he also had lost to Bellator. You know, he wasn't Bellator champ when he left. But he needs a win in this fight to at least stay, you know, both these guys need this to stay, you know, in the title picture. Remember, you have these contenders like these guys where the weight division seems stacked. And then out of nowhere, right, 
it all just disappears and there's a whole new batch of fighters in it and just start losing all those contenders. We're getting to that point here. So when does this fight really puts himself in a nice position for a title shot? The loser is going to have to go through a murderer's role to get back. And Justin Gaethje, who hasn't fought since he fought Khabib, it's been a while. Which is, I'm not necessarily against, right? He takes a lot. He took a lot of damage in his career. He, you know, needs some time to rest. But at that point, he hadn't taken much damage. Even when uh, Khabib beat him, was a submission. When he fought Tony Ferguson, he was, you know, hardly touched. But at one point, they was hurt, I think, by Ferguson. But that's it. He was hardly touched in that fight. And how does this fight play out? Well, the way I see it is uh, Gaethje's stand-up is a lot better. And defensively, he ha- he's more defensive. Saying Justin Gaethje's better defensively than someone is sounds weird, but he has been. It just has been in his fights, especially Tony Ferguson. I, I can't get past that, how good he looked in that performance. Michael Chandler is no good defensively. He has zero defense stand-up. He relies a lot on his athleticism. He relies a lot on his power and the explosion. His legs like a wrestler. And he has one big shot. And that could work against Dan Hooker, who falls apart going backwards. And wants to, to avoid uh, Chandler's wrestling. But I guess a Gaethje, who can wrestle himself. And is very common, controlled in the stand-up. And has no problem exchanging. He's not going to be afraid of the right hand. I think Chandler's going to get marked up if he stays standing in this fight. And I think that he's sold to so many defensive holes. I just think that Gaethje's going to... When they throw combos, he's going to land. And even if Chandler lands, I know Gaethje can get through being hurt. I don't think that's unfamiliar territory for him. And when I look at the counter for Chandler, because I would pick, and I am going to pick Gaethje to win by knockout in this fight, and I expect the left hook to be very effective. The counter would be Chandler using the right hand to get cover distance and get the takedown. You've seen Gaethje get taken down by Khabib. He didn't have much answers on his back, and I think that that's... Chandler's has to be his key to win this fight because it's not going to just be throwing massive right hands. Not a guy like uh, Gaethje who's, first of all, got an excellent trainer, right, in Trevor Whitman. They're going to have an excellent game plan. They're going to know them, Michael Chan- what Michael Chandler's game is. It's not, you know, hard to see. It's not hard to take apart. You well, watch one fight, you know what he does. Chandler's got to bring a new element to it. And I wonder, putting Gaethje on his back, how helpless he looked against Khabib, right? He didn't look like he had a, 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 that great of a bottom game. I think Chandler has to put him on his back. Use the right hand to cover the space. Use the right hand to keep him home, keep him honest, and get him down. And get back to your wrestling. Get back to what you're good at. And don't just be a brawler. And not in this fight. Because I don't think Gaethje is going to go in there to look to brawl. I think he's going to look to get some action. He's not going to be afraid to trade. But I don't think he's going to go in there looking to brawl. I'm going to pick Justin Gaethje in this fight. I'm going to pick the left hand to land. I'm going to take a second round. TKO. Now, I told you, I didn't study Rose Dom, uh, Namajunas and uh, Wei, Wei Li Zhang. Did I say Zhang Wei Li? Uh, Wei Li Zhang. Because it's a rematch. In the first fight, um, I broke it down, and I didn't think much has changed till then. I think Rose Namajunas is the better technical fighter by by pretty far, and she could do a lot more things, and she's more technically sound. And Wei Li kind of relies on her power and explosion to cause problems. And Rose is gonna move around the ring. She's gonna be able to combinations, and but she, at points she does get in trouble in fights, and especially against a person like uh, Wei Li, who is explosive and hits hard, and she's gonna be able to hit her in the guard and still kind of feel like she shake her up. So I expect I don't expect this fight to end as soon as it did the last one because I don't know if the power had much to do with the last one. It was more just perfect timing. 
which Rose has. When Rose has is on her game, she's the best female, one of the best female fighters in the world, if not the best. So I expect Rose to go out and win rounds. But I expect her to have to go through some trouble and survive some big shots. But I expect her to get a decision because she's better technically. And I think that she can move around the ring and make it very hard for uh, uh, Zang, to, Zang to get to her. I'll pick Rose by decision in this fight. And I, like I said, I expect big shots to be landed. I expect her to have some, maybe some scares, but I expect her to win this fight. Now let's go to the Usman versus Kobe Covington. And the reason I studied this fight because I know that Usman got better, and I know I don't know what happened to Kobe Covington, but he doesn't never been parts where he truly improved that much, right? He improved his stand up, but it wasn't. Um, when the point where he got good at stand up, he never really like went farther beyond that. Where Usman gets better at stand up, and he improves like exponentially the next fight, right? When he fought Masvidal the first time, and the second time he like. He's schooling him in the stand-up. And he's schooling him with the jab. And he knocks him out. And I expect it to be in this fight. The same thing. Is that he's just going to school Kobe, uh, Kobe Covington with the stand-up. He's just going to out-jab him. He's going to punish him. And it's not going to be a close fight. Now, what do, what, what's your counter for Kobe Covington? And there's not many, right? They, he, they've already tried to wrestle each other, right? They've uh, grappled each other. No one had the advantage there. So I think that's that's still me. He stay, keep it standing. He's not going to get past the jab. Usman, he's going to have problems with it. Now, Usman still puts his head down and trades. At times, it's a bad problem. It's a bad mistake he has. And sometimes it go wild. That's going to be Kobe Covington's best shot. But he's going to have to take a lot of damage to stay there to be able to respond at that point. And it's just going to be can he withhold, withhold the shots to take the opportunity. Now, I don't even think he hits that hard. He doesn't put much in his shots. He's kind of looking to break it down with... You know, stamina and cardio situation, and then holding against the gate. He's not going to be able to do that, Usman. So I just respect really an outclassing here. And I understand that the first fight was good. Maybe have the rematch immediately. Maybe the injuries couldn't do that, whatever it happened. But having the fight now, it just seems like Usman's a complete different level of fighter. It kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know, Dante Wilder versus Tavern, where it's like, uh, it doesn't even make sense when you look at it again. You're like, okay. At that point, that made sense. This right here, this is not two, two different levels of fighters. I think that's what you're going to see this weekend. Two level, different levels of fighters. I think Usman's jab is going to carry the day. I think he gets a stoppage. I wouldn't. I expect about third round. Just shots add up too much. And I'll take Usman to win that fight. This has been a long one. I thank you guys for listening. Thank you for letting me catch up. And this has been the S-Raw Podcast.